Father, we thank you. Thank you that we can have a, a moment uh, to ourselves here on a Wednesday evening, apart from uh, other concerns of our busy lives, and that we can fellowship together, read Scripture together, study together, worship you together, pray together. And we thank you for the promise that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of your people. And so we ask for your presence again tonight as we think about heaven. And bless us, we pray, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, turn with me to uh, Revelation 21. Revelation 21. And I'm just going to read the opening a few verses, verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, I don't think that means there's no ocean or large spaces of water. Uh, Robert Belding is really upset at that thought because there'd be no sailing in heaven, um, and no boats, and, and I don't think it means that at all. Um, for a start, there's a river that runs from this new Jerusalem uh, with fruit trees on either side, and flowing water has to end up somewhere in a large mass of water. So even, even on that surface thought, there are, there's a large mass of water somewhere. Uh, so I don't think it means that, and there are all po- kinds of possible interpretations of sea. The sea was no more. I, I don't think it means an ocean, which would imply that the new heavens and new earth didn't have uh, mammals, uh, I mean, uh, like whales and, and uh, dolphins and, and an octopus or two or wh- whatever. I don't think it means that. Uh, I think it means... Um, it, it, one possible interpretation, let me put it that way, I need to keep reading, but one possible interpretation is that the sea here is a reference to uh, the, the, the lava, the, 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 the piece of furniture in the temple where, where ceremonial washings uh, would have taken place. That's one possible uh, interpretation for, uh, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they with his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, 
the sexually immoral sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. And then there comes a description of the new Jerusalem and in chapter 22, the river of life. Now, heaven, and, and there's, a, uh, there's an overlap between what we were talking about at lunch today, um, at Wednesday at first, where we've been going through the Apostles' Creed, and today was the last one in which we were looking at the two last uh, parts of it, I, I believe in the resurrection of the body and uh, life everlasting. So, so we went, we talked a little bit about heaven uh, at lunch today, and I'm going to repeat some of that uh, here tonight. Um, some useful books on heaven, accessible uh, books on heaven. Uh, you know, Randy Alcorn's book on heaven sold five or six million copies, I think, uh, is, is good. It's very good. Uh, there are one or two, I mean, it's a big book, so there are one or two bits of it that I, I didn't agree with, mainly because of his particular view of the relationship of uh, the millennium to the second coming and so on. There, there were some things in it that I, that I questioned. And, and, of course, he engages in a little bit of speculation, and, and I have nothing against sanctified speculation, uh, and, it, and it's fun reading, an interesting reading. And not every question that he asks I would answer in the way that he answers, but, but it's, a, it's a great book and, a, and, and uh, certainly one, and it's in a bookstore and a big fat book on heaven. Somebody said today at lunchtime, nobody speaks on heaven anymore. And I, I, I've been sort of dwelling on it all afternoon. Uh, do I never speak on heaven and I mean, as a topic, maybe, as a theme. Um, you know, and I did do a, a quick glance at some systematic theologies. You know, Burkhoff gave about 30 pages on hell and I think two on heaven. And, and, and I thought, okay, there's something imbalanced about that, for sure. Um, Let me, let me begin here. Uh, and it's a statement from Randy Alkin's book on heaven. All our lives, we have been dreaming of the new earth. Actually, it doesn't come from his book on heaven. It comes from his uh, novel, which I think is called Dominion. And, you know, he's, he writes novels as well as books on theology, and uh, his, his novel, Dominion, there's, there's a character in it, I'm guessing now, I think it's Dari, who says, all our lives we have been dreaming of heaven. And what he's, what he's getting at is this, that when you see um, an Amazon rainforest, I've actually not seen the Amazon rainforest, the Grand Canyon, actually I've never seen the Grand Canyon, the Serengeti Plains, I've never seen the Serengeti Plains. Um, the Alps, I've, I've seen the Alps. I've been on top of the Alps. I've been on the glaciers on the Alps. And I get the point that he's making. And I want to see the other three too. Um, you get that transcendent moment. 
there's something, there's something more here than what I can just see and explain scientifically. There's a, a moment of awe. There's a moment of... Well, I don't want to be trite about it. There's a God moment here, but there's a, there's a transcendent moment here. And it's as though all our lives we've been dreaming about heaven. We get these little glimpses that there's something more to life than, than what you can see and, and hear. It happened, I was saying at lunchtime today, it happens to me in music. There are certain pieces of music, I'll use a different illustration so that you don't think I'm repeating myself. Um, it's the third chord of Beethoven's Piano Sonata number 29. And it's this slow movement, and, and it's the third chord, and it, it, there's something about it. Uh, it's the Hammerclavier Sonata I'm talking about, and it's that third chord in the slow movement. Uh, you can go home and listen to it now. Um, but it, it, it does it every time. I must have heard it hundreds of times. But that third chord sends me into another dimension almost. There's something about it and it says, right, we're on a different... It's more than just a scientific explanation of the sounds. The three, four, five notes that he's playing with his hands on a, on a, on a piano. And you can explain that scientifically and so on. But there's something more that happens. There's, there's a moment of awe. There's a moment as though, all right, I'm in a, I'm in a different plane here. I'm in a different existence here. All our lives we've been dreaming uh, of heaven. When we talk about heaven, we, we usually, I think, mean one of two things. And, and they're two different things, but we don't always realize that they are two different things. Sometimes when we speak about heaven, we speak about Actually, the intermediate state. So, so somebody dies who knows the Lord, loves Jesus. When they die, they go to heaven. And we talk about what happens when somebody dies who loves Jesus and, and what's going to happen in the next five minutes. That's what we might call, for, for want of a term, we might call that present heaven. The heaven that exists right now. But, but it's actually an intermediate state. It's not... It's not the heaven that's being described here in Revelation 21, which we might call future heaven. Because future heaven is what? Future heaven is actually the new heavens and the new earth. The, the, the future heaven is like this, only without sin and more. But future heaven is like this in, in the sense that it is, it is a world. It is a physical world. It's a physical universe. With seas. And mountains. And rivers. And fruit trees. And a bodily existence. Most of the time, I think, when we talk about heaven, we're actually talking about present heaven, and we're talking about the intermediate state heaven. Heaven right now. 
Uh, let's think about some passages, and we mentioned them, I think, at lunchtime today. Let's think of Luke 16, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And that's a parable, parable describing the intermediate state. It's not describing the end state. It's describing Lazarus and the rich man right now. So Lazarus is in the bosom of Abraham, but it's right now. Or think of um, Revelation chapter 6 and verse um, 9. Perhaps a key verse, perhaps the the key interpretive verse of the whole book of Revelation. And, And John sees what? He sees the souls of those who have died. He sees the souls of the martyrs. And what are they doing? They're crying out for justice. How long, Lord? So, John is seeing something that is, that is true and exists right now. I mean, the right now of when John was alive. They've died. They've been killed. Actually, they're martyrs in this case. And, and in the seventh chapter, the next chapter, he sees them clothed in white and, and they're waving palm branches. All of which speaks in, in visual, symbolic, apocalyptic terms of a physical existence. Now, their, bodies, their bodies have been eaten by lions, their bodies have been crucified, their bodies have been burned, or whatever's happened to their bodies in the, in the violence of the first century, where we are again now, right now, that's where many Christians find themselves right now, parallel to what, where Christians were in the first century. And John is seeing, and, it's, and I think the whole book of Revelation is designed as an answer to the question, what's happened to our loved ones who died confessing Jesus? But what happened to them? And John is saying, I, I saw them. I've, I've seen them. And they're alive. And they're, before, they're with God. And they're with Jesus. And they're crying out for justice. And I think John is writing the Apocalypse, the book of Revelation, partly as a pastoral response to the, to the awful questions that loved ones are asking and friends are asking about those who have died as martyrs. Where are they? What's happened to them? I saw the souls of those, is, is the language John uses in Revelation 6, and he's using the Greek word suche, uh, which doesn't mean, I think, typically not disembodied spirits, and I'm not sure how you would see disembodied spirits, or how disembodied spirits wear white robes and wave, wave palm branches either, but... but A term typically used of the whole person. I I saw them as persons. Or think of the opening verse or two or three of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where Paul says, we know that if our earthly tent, talking about our physical bodies here, if our earthly tent be destroyed, we have a building from God, 
And he uses the present tense. We have a building from God. So the earthly tent is destroyed, and, and we have, present tense, a building from God. Now, that's led to some, some disagreement and, and interpretive speculation as to Paul is referring, I think, to the intermediate state. He's, he's, he's referring to the now. He's not saying we die, our earthly tent is destroyed, and, and at the second coming of Jesus, at the time of the resurrection, we have a, we have a building from God. It seems by the tense to be talking about the intermediate state. We have a building from God. So what does that mean? Because we generally confess that the intermediate state is a bodiless existence. But I'm not sure how how you see, how John sees bodiless spirits in heaven. Uh, Calvin, for example, in his uh, commentary on 2 Corinthians 5, 1, uh, seems to push in the direction that there is some kind of temporary body in the intermediate state, that the intermediate state isn't, isn't like, it's not even a gas, but it's, but it's bodiless, it's just pure spirit, but it does seem to have some physical dimensions to it. It's interesting uh, for example, that at the transfiguration, when, when uh, Moses and Elijah appeared with Jesus, they appeared with bodies. They didn't appear with uh, spirits, but they appeared with bodies. And Enoch and uh, Elijah, when they died, they, they left with their bodies. So what happened to those bodies? Now, there was a big brouhaha you know, late 80s, early 90s, uh, it was with, um, on the left side, well, not left or right, but on one side, there was Murray Harris, uh, Trinity, uh, Deerfield, Evangelical, uh, in uh, Chicago, uh, and then on the other side was uh, Norman Geisler uh, from uh, Southern Seminary in Charlotte, uh, it got kind of hot and heavy, partly because Murray Harris, among other things, questioned the physicality of Jesus' resurrection body, and then kind of mud was thrown, suggesting that Murray Harris sounded, sounded like a Jehovah Witness in his view, and so on and on. Then it all got kind of ad hominem and complicated. Um, but in the midst of all of that brouhaha, and there were lots of interesting articles in Christianity Today in 1991, 3 about all of this, um, uh, one, of the, one of the things that emerged from that was what kind of existence do we have in heaven in the intermediate state? And is that a purely spiritual existence, whatever we mean by that, or does it have some kind of physical dimension? And C.S. Lewis sort of speculates a little on it, and he talks about that when we die in Christ, we, we kind of pass through a fold in space. And that's, he, he had a sci-fi kind of bent to him, you know, and he wrote all those sci-fi uh, sort of novels. So, and and I, I like the sci-fi channel. So, so uh, I, I can kind of, I, I, don't know what, I don't know how to think about a bodiless existence. I don't know how you think without a brain, without a physical brain. I don't, I don't know what that means. I don't know how you see or hear or talk or communicate or fellowship without a body. I, neither do you. 
And for that matter, neither does anyone else. But, 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 but whatever it is, it is temporary. It's, it's not the final, final state. And, and although the New Testament does hint, and then some, about the intermediate state, so that we can say to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And we want us... We want to be able to give that assurance to somebody who dies in Jesus that they open their eyes, right, and they see Jesus. And I I don't want to say they don't have eyes, right, or they don't have ears. As a pastor, I I really don't want to go there, right? So I want to to use the same kind of symbolism that the Bible seems to be using and and the same kind of language that Paul seems to be using in 2 Corinthians 5.1. And I don't want to deny the Westminster Confession of Faith or the catechisms about the intermediate state that, that our bodies rest in their graves until the resurrection and then they're reunited with their souls. But what I'm asking is, what is that soulish existence in the intermediate state? And too often, when we talk about souls, we revert to kind of Platonism and Neoplatonism and, and not think biblically. So that was my first point whatever that was. Two kinds of heaven. A heaven now and the heaven of the future, the new heavens and the new earth. And, and, and there, there are two different ideas in the Bible. There is a heaven now, but there's also the new heavens and the new earth. Second thing I want to say, and I mentioned it again at lunchtime today, but I do want to uh, address it, because there's just such a lot of speculation and, and sometimes nonsense and sometimes fantasy and sometimes downright heresy um, in the form of what is sometimes called um, heavenly tourism literature. Meaning, uh, the kind of literature like like the four-year-old uh, boy, uh, Heaven is for Real, uh, that became a movie, and so on. And Christians sort of tend to get on to all this stuff and, and, and laud it and, and see it as a kind of apologetic corroboration of what the Bible teaches, as if the Bible needs that kind of cor- corroboration. Just trust the Bible. Because when the Bible speaks, God speaks. And you don't, you don't need all of that, that corroboration, particularly if that co- corroboration is infused with a lot of heresy. Now, do I trust the Bible or a four-year-old boy? I've had four-year-olds, and, and they have lots of imagination. You know, and they say wonderful things, and sometimes it's kind of wacky. So this four-year-old saw, he, had, he was given a halo and wings, and he didn't like them because they were too small, and... And he met, uh, you know, he met the Holy Spirit, and he described it as kind of blue. And um, he sat on Jesus' knee, and angels sang to him, and, and so on. And, and some of that sounds okay, and some of it sounds kind of weird. But it's not something that I want to sort of corroborate and, and vindicate and sort of give my stamp of approval and say, well, you know, that's Christianity. No, that's the musings of a four-year-old boy. Well, dressed up in a book that is designed to sell and actually make a lot, tons of money. Don't be naive about it. So you have, um, 
You know, the other book uh, written by a, by a young fellow who, who was involved in an accident and his father co-wrote it. And there was a ghost wrote, writer too and whose name was Malarkey and it gave rise to all kinds of puns. And, and um, you know, he made, he was involved in a, he was in a coma for like two months after an accident when he was four and he made multiple trips back and forth to heaven and he saw... Satan and, and described him as having a funny-looking mouth and a few moldy teeth and, and no ears and, and bony arms and bony legs, um, let alone the whole slew of other material like My Journey to Heaven and How It Changed My Life by Marvin Bestman and Flight to Heaven by Captain Dale Black and To Heaven and Back, A True Story by Mary Neal and 90 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper, not John Piper, Don Piper, and Nine Days in Heaven by Dennis Prince and 23 Minutes in Hell by Bill Weiss. And that's just the start. They're fun to read. They're filled with error and unbiblical concepts. Um, do the dead return? No, I don't, I don't believe it for one minute. And we have the Bible, and that should be enough. Um, is, there, is there recognition in heaven? Let me... Let me segue to that. Is there recognition in heaven? And I'm, I'm talking about heaven now and certainly heaven in the new heavens and new earth, in the future heaven, heaven now and future heaven. Is there recognition? You know, the Bible talks, Jesus talks, Matthew 22, the Sadducees, you know, they bring him that, uh, that sort of conundrum. So a guy gets married and his wife dies and it's, it's the Leveret law issue. So he marries uh, this, the, the sister and, and so on and then she dies and then marries another one and another one and there are seven in all and, and all seven are dead and whose husband is he going to be in the resurrection because the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection so it was kind of one of those mocking conundrums and Jesus says uh, you know answer a fool according to his folly and I think Jesus says to them uh, in heaven there'll be neither People won't marry or be given in marriage or, 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 or marry. And what does that mean? And for some, that means that you'll become an angel. You know, because angels don't marry or are given in marriage. So when you die, you become an angel. And you, and, and you see that sometimes in Facebook entries and, and stuff. And when, when somebody dies... You know, there'll be an entry and, and it'll say there's another angel in heaven. And there's absolutely nothing biblical about that whatsoever. Right? And it's, it's kind of sentimental and, and so on. And, and sentimentality can become the new normal for sure. And Christians can imbibe that a little but understand that that's just not what the Bible teaches that human beings do not become angels in heaven. There are angels and there are archangels and there are cherubim and seraphim and, and 24 elders and maybe creatures that we 
know nothing about in God's extraordinary uh, creation. Um, but there is nothing in the Bible that says human beings sort of transform and become and sprout wings and, and hence the four-year-old boy getting wings. Mm-mm. No, it's not in the Bible. Um, associated with this, w- will there be recognition? Yes, there'll be recognition. You'll be you. You'll be you plus, it'll be you, the super model of you. It'll be you and then some. It'll be you without sin, which is hard for us to con- conceive, get to wrap our hands around that. Just as they recognized Jesus in his re- resurrection body. And there were times when they didn't recognize him because he was, he was in a, a different state. He was, in a, he was in a resurrection state and heading for a glorious state. And the question sometimes is asked, was there a change between Jesus' physical body, between resurrection and ascension, between resurrection and where he is now? Where is Jesus' human body now? It's in heaven. Heaven now heaven at the right hand of God. It's somewhere. It's in a point in space. has a zip code. It can, it's not ubiquitous. Doesn't, it's, not, it's not in two places. It's in one place. And where, wherever that place is, let's take Lewis's little analogy, a fold in space. He passed through a wormhole and, and he's somewhere else. But it's somewhere. It has an existence, physical existence, in space and time. And our, and, and our future is a future in space and time. It's not a timeless existence. It's not a spaceless, dimensionless um, existence. Associated with this question are questions like, will there be memory of past sin, whether it's ours or somebody else's? Um, well, there seems to be the martyred souls at the, at, at the foot of the altar in Revelation 6 have a memory of what's happened to them. They're crying out for justice, so they, they remember an injustice that was, that was done. They also seem to be aware of what's going on, as we say, on earth, because they know that Justice hasn't yet been done, so, so, so they, seem, they, they, they seem to be aware of their past, and they seem to be aware of what's going on. I guess then the question has, is, how is that compatible with perfection and, 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 and bliss and so on? Well, Jesus has the marks of his crucifixion. One bad memory, to be sure, to the nth degree. But he continues to have that and bear that in his resurrection body and and one assumes in his ascension body still bears those those five bleeding wounds, as Wesley refers to them in, in his hymn, in a manner that is still compatible with the idea of perfection. What about age? You know, if you die at 30, 
32, are you 32 in heaven, whether now or in the new heavens and new earth? If you're 95, as one of my friends who has just died and was buried yesterday, he was 95, uh, Homer Lee Howie, uh, is he 95 in heaven? Well, he doesn't need the hearing aid that he's needed for the last <laughs> many years. And, and uh, uh, it was Thomas Aquinas speculated that everybody's 33. Because Jesus died when he was 33, and that's the perfect sort of age. And there's a, in his Summa Theologiae, he talks about that. Well, as I said at lunchtime today, I'm, I'm quite happy being 33. You know, if I was 16, I may not be as happy at being 33, but I, I, from where I am now, 33 sounds good to me. But, but and others have speculated, Lewis speculated a little, uh, that you will appear as you remember, as you are remembered. So if, if, if you remember somebody as your parent, they will appear to you still as older than you. I, I don't know what that means, and I don't know if there's any scripture to warrant that. Or, you know, what happens to children? I, I, I believe that unborn children go to heaven, and I could try and justify that to you, and I would base it especially on, on the case of covenant children, uh, on the case of David and Bathsheba and, 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 uh, and the, the illegitimate child and David's words, I will go to him, and, and, but he will not come to me, but I will go to him, and so on. And that it's more than just I'm going to be buried and I'm going to be in a plot next to him in the ground, that David is saying something more than that. And, 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 and based on, on one's understanding of love and compassion in God, I, I believe that unborn children go to heaven, as, as has most of Christendom believed that, conservative uh, as well as everyone as other branches of Christendom. So, so the question then is, are they, are they still babies in heaven? In which case, they, they never walk, they never run, they never experience things that adults experience, or do they, are they babies and do they grow in heaven? Do they grow old in heaven? Or do they remain the same age in heaven? Right? And, and, and all of these are really complicated and, 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 and difficult uh, questions to, to ask, and which is why Aquinas said that babies become 33. Perhaps they will appear to you as babies, is what Lewis is saying, so that a mother can experience something she never experienced in this world of holding a, a baby that died in her womb. And experience that. All of it will be filled with joy, for sure. Um, I have tons more, but I said I would, there'd be questions. So let me let me abandon uh, the rest. Uh, and and uh, we've got about uh, you know six, seven, eight minutes for questions. Actually, we can have all the time you want in questions. Anybody want to ask a question? Yes. Steve. Well, <laughs> sure. Um, in, in classic medieval 
uh, Catholicism uh, say purgatory, and for that matter, C.S. Lewis believed in purgatory. I I do not believe the Bible teaches a doctrine of purgatory, where souls um, souls go uh, and and receive uh, go through various stages. Someone thinks of Dante's Inferno and so on, uh, and and receives merit accrued to them from the superfluous merit of saints on earth until they reach a certain point where they are released from that purgatory. And that release can come that way, or it can come by an edict of the Pope. Uh, So Cardinal Newman, for example, after spending 150 years in purgatory, uh, three miracles uh, were associated with his name uh, and, and verified. And so the Pope is in a position to release him from purgatory, and that happened you know, 10, 12 years ago. Uh, this is the Cardinal Newman of uh, Lead Kindly Light, uh, Cardinal Newman. Now, the, the Bible doesn't, doesn't teach a purgatory. Uh, uh, this is, this is, I'm, we're talking about the intermediate state of passing from this world into the presence of, of Jesus immediately. But with what my question was, what is that existence like in the intermediate state? Is it pure spirit with no physical dimension whatsoever. And, and if that is the case, I, I have no means of conceiving that. I've, I don't even know how to begin to describe that. Um, uh, just as it's difficult to say God is spirit in, in uh, John chapter 4, but, but what does that mean? And, and theologians have never been able to answer that question. You know, what, what is God as opposed to what God is like? Anyway, question. Well, two, two things. Great question. Wonderful question. Two, two, two thoughts. The question was, will we have jobs in heaven? I mean, apart from worshiping God, I'm diluting your question now, but will, will there also be other things to do? Let, let's take the first part, worshiping God. Heaven is about worship, first of all. It's about worship. It's about falling down, crowning him Lord of all. It's, it's about fellowship with Jesus. Jesus' prayer in John 17 uh, that, that, that they might be with me where I am. And as I, uh, as I said at lunchtime today, if that thought doesn't thrill your soul, if, if, if worshiping on a, collectively as God's people, and, and sometimes individually for sure, in, a, in, in, in one's own private worship, personal worship, but collectively too, corporate worship, if you, if you don't have that moment that heaven has come down, if that never occurs to you at any time, you never get this thought that while you're worshiping God, heaven has come down. Or, or we, it's almost as though we have been transported for a moment into heaven and that doesn't thrill your soul, then you've got a problem. Because that's what heaven is, first and foremost. If Jesus doesn't thrill your soul here on earth, there's not, there, you need to get to know Jesus now is the answer to that. The second part is, what else are we doing in heaven? And I think heaven will have the same kind of rhythm that this life has of work and play and worship, or worship and work and, and play. 
know, will there be, will there be jobs to do? Well, different kind of jobs. Jobs that are work that is fulfilling. I think that the, that the mandate to explore and subdue the universe, that, that was true in Eden, even though Eden was described as paradise, there was still work to do. Beyond Eden, I imagine heaven like that. Um, work that's rewarding, work that's fulfilling. I'm not sure what Robert's going to be doing in heaven because he's a doctor. There's no, there's no doctor work to do in heaven, right? Nobody's sick in heaven. I didn't say that. <laughs> he suggested that I had said there are no doctors in heaven. Fear it. Uh, there's no doctoring uh, in heaven. I, I imagine, you know, I, I suggested today that, that Philippians 4, is it 6 or 8, whatsoever things are good, true, honest, pure, of good report, and so on, Think on these things. If there's any, if there's any, uh, any, anything that's good about it, well, I think multiply that, you know, and and heaven will be like that. Whatever, whatever is good, and 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 pure, and 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 fulfilling, will will be in heaven. Um, one imagines, uh, one imagines that the the pastimes. Uh, two that we have in this world, the, the, the leisure, leisure activities um, that, are, that are legitimate le- leisure or le- leisure activities in this world uh, will be part and parcel of the world to come too. And one imagines writing books and composing music and, and painting and, and sculpture and, and whatever else too as, as part of an eternity. Um, and exploration of this vast universe that's unimaginably vast to us. Um, Exciting. I I feel like it's everything out there from enjoy of doing what we're doing. It's such a joy that Absolutely. Yes, Norman. Uh, you know, there's Revelation 10:6, which in the King James Version says, and there'll be no more time, which is a mistranslation, uh, let me say. Uh, and I think that should, should be translated, there'll be no more delay. And he's talking about the judgment and, and the impending judgment. So Revelation 10:6 is not the verse to, as a proof text for that there's no time in heaven. I, I think that part of our createdness is being in space and time. And therefore, a timeless existence seems to me 
contrary to the nature of creation. So the, 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 the before and now and after, the succession of moments, I think, is part of our createdness. Uh, and, I, and I don't think that the, that, that the new heavens and new earth, if it's a restoration of creation, which I think it is, is compatible with the idea of timelessness. I think what frustrates time here is the lack of fulfillment. Time seems long or time seems very short. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is our, our association with time from a, a fallen sinner's point of view. Uh, that that's part of that's part of the frustration uh, that is that is part and parcel of this of this world, uh, as Paul talks about in Romans eight, that the creation groans and travels, and or or the hebel in Ecclesiastes, that there's a kind of there's a kind of frustration that's built into time here. But um, uh, I think that I think that the souls in Revelation six are certainly. Uh, are certainly aware of something that hasn't happened and needs to happen, which, which kind of puts them in a, in a time framework to me. Um, yes? I've got a comment thoughts on time. Uh, it seems to me that, that God has no need for time, or the concept of time. Some scholars seem to think that God's view is, is timeless and he, his view is a continuum before and after creation and so forth. But certainly we could have time. But I'm, I'm not so certain that, that God is going to make heaven like creation. Because I think heaven will be more perfect than and we can't understand how God will make will make heaven, and if there will be concepts of dimension as, as we know them here. Certainly, there could, there would be the need for physical dimensions in heaven. But is there a need for time? I I just I have a tough time believing that there is a need for time. Um. Yeah, I, I just respectfully disagree. Um, <laughs> I think time is a is a function of of createdness, and I, I think it's true of of it'll be perfect. Creation will be perfect. Um, our our experience of it will be perfect, uh, without all of the frustration that occupies our experience of time and space here. Okay, uh, one one more, one more. Yes. Um, I, one of the things that would be a highlight in heaven is having the banquet feast with the Lord. As somebody who's a green green apron <laughs> lady, you'll be served. This is a question. This is a question. <laughs> uh, if you're in Jesus, if you're in Jesus Christ, there is nothing to be scared about.
Absolutely nothing. If you're outside of Christ, the great white throne is very scary. Well, you're asking a question now that's getting us into the spring. <laughs> all of that stuff, all of that stuff we're going to solve in the spring. So, so and does, does that great Well, again, you're getting into springtime stuff, <laughs> and I, I can't get into that right now. We're going we're gonna to quit here. Short break. I'm going to pray. Short break. We'll... we'll segue into a time of prayer, but let me pray first. Father, we thank you for, uh, for our brief study together. Uh, we know that eye has not seen nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man what you have prepared for those that love you. And uh, we, we long and look forward uh, so much to what it means to be with the Lord Jesus and to be reunited with friends who have died in Jesus. And we thank you for the certainty in the gospel that we can have, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, bless us, we pray, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.